0: And welcome to another getjob.com podcast. I'm Jonathan McCreely, and joining me today is Andrew Short. A lot of you will know Andrew because of his motocross and supercross career in America, a very successful career over 15, 16 years. But we saw Andrew at the weekend at Lommel. And I want to ask you, Andrew, first of all, what was your ex- experience of that in the sand with Jeffrey Hurlings was doing, of a kid to Wolf winning at 16 years old as well? Give us your, your view on. Your Lommel experience?
1: Yeah, it's a race that's unique. And I think to appreciate it, you have to see it in real life. And uh, TV never does anything justice. So to have the opportunity to go there, check it out. I've never been to MXG. I've been to Donations when it was in the United States uh, when I participated. But for sure, it's much different when you're there in real life and to see it in Europe and on a track that's so historic and challenging. Uh, It was really cool. And to see the paddock, see the, the people. And I have some friends, obviously, that I've met throughout the year. It was really cool. And, and obviously, the, the level of riding was really high. And the conditions were crazy and tough and challenging. So it was cool. Good experience.
0: And on on the riders, was anybody stand out? Obviously, Hurlings had the shoulder injury. But we had a Frenchman win in the sand as well. We were in Fevre. What were your thoughts on the, the whole scenario with, with that going on?
1: Yeah. Honestly, for me... Um, I follow the, the MXGP from afar, and, you know, I really follow American motocross, and I know people, and I stay in touch with that. So um, for me, the most exciting part was seeing the young kids uh, in the 250 class, and I, I feel like that's the future. And It didn't seem like there was a whole lot of depth uh, compared to the, the U.S. series in the 250 class, where the 450 class is crazy. You know, the depth is all the way through, and so this is one big thing I noticed, but I love seeing the young kids. I don't know how you say it, the wolf or just wolf, but that kid's amazing, man. He was just surfing the sand and his style, and he just looked happy and uh, looked like he enjoyed the race and stoked. And when you see a kid with a a vibe like this, it makes you want to ride a dirt bike. So it was Mm. cool just to see this and and see him after the race, how happy he was and smiling and the people around him. Uh, This was cool.
0: You raced James Stewart, obviously, when he was a young teenage phenomenon doing similar things. What is the mentality of a a competitor like yourself when you see a young kid coming and winning straight straight away are you happy for him are you even like i should be winning
1: (laughs) nah yeah i think it's cool and it's good for the sport when you have a lot of diversity it's cool for yamaha too i feel like they have a strength in numbers they have a lot of young kids coming up and they've invested in this and uh it's cool to see those guys and it's weird for me because yesterday i was watching loretta lens on my computer when i got home and you see uh deegan you know he's like the big hype here in the u.s and he's 15 on a super mini and yeah. you think of yeah hurlings or uh, kenny uh roxon when he was coming up they were 15 winning gps and uh, they were riding these tracks that are so gnarly i was showing my kid uh lomo and he, i'm like this is the gnarliest track i've ever seen and he's like oh it doesn't look that crazy i'm like are you kidding me and so it's cool just to see uh the difference and how how crazy it is and- but these kids that are so young in Europe that are dedicated to motocross, I think it's a whole different world uh, compared to here in the US where you see 15 year olds still on a super mini at Loretta Lenskin. So it is two different worlds, Um, but I would really like to see Hurlings um, without the injury. It was so impressive and what he did, how fast he is and just his determination. I can't imagine without the injury, he seems so internally driven. Uh, motivated and and just his self-belief and confidence is on another level and on a sand track is really cool to see the things that he can do and the places he can put the bike and the way he keeps his momentum going forward
0: and just on tony caroli that was the guy you raced at at the nation's 10 i think it's 10 years ago now he's still now challenged for his 10th world title as a fellow professional but That I think he's coming 36 in the next couple of months. You must have a lot of respect for a rider that can keep going that long at the top.
1: Yeah, to me, he's uh, his character for who he is on and off the track, um, how he conducts himself, his his accomplishments speak for themselves. He's a true professional. Um, but yeah, I admire a person like this. Uh, obviously, he's fast on the bike, and I don't know, I, I just feel like from the fan perspective he's a guy i would cheer for and somebody that um, i like and i appreciate you know i think there's rare people that come through that want to be or that can compete year after year like this and like you said at 36 this is something that's really respectful and um it's it's just cool to see and it's awesome that he's still there i I think this is um something that the fans and the sport should be more appreciative of and uh it is i don't know it was cool to see him there racing
0: Talking of long careers, you did have a very long career yourself, which I think is testament to your your professionalism, especially in America with the Supercross and the outdoors. It's, it's a long year, so it would go on, I think it was 15, 16-year career you had, but what interests me, just to start at, at the beginning, when you were growing up, and obviously you were you were fast and you were showing potential, but how realistic was a pro-career for you? You could sort of Coming into your teenage years, was it something you were really striving for, or a sort of just became, became closer as you got older?
1: I've always had a passion for riding and racing and I wasn't always the fastest kid and speaking of Loretta Lenz earlier I never had a lot of success at, at this race and there was a, a lot of kids that were much faster but uh, you know I just worked at it and even as I uh, developed into my career I was never the fastest person but I was consistent and I think my love for the sport and my internal drive and internal motivation, I think this is what took me um, throughout my career and to race this long. And I wasn't always the fastest, but I loved it. And because of this, I think I stayed around and people could see my passion, um, whether it was for testing or racing and training and these things. And, and that's why I still, race. you know, I'm still hooked and I, I, uh, I'm i still addicted to racing, you know. And uh, that's brought me into my my career now with Rally, but... Because of these these things, I think this is what uh, drove me and allowed me to have these opportunities year after year, and aligned me with people that had a passion for racing, also. And they
0: you started, I think, with Pro Circuit Kawasaki, and then moved quickly to, to the Moto World Suzuki, I believe. What what happened with Mitch Payton there? Because at that time, that was the team to be on.
1: It was to work with Kawasaki through the Team Green program. And um, simultaneously while I was racing the amateur stuff, I got to ride with Mitch uh, with Pro Circuit Kawasaki. It was really cool because uh, my teammates at the time were Casey Lytle, who was uh, a great person who's still with KTM on the R&D side, and also Shay Bentley, the, the champion from the previous year. Uh, unfortunately, my results weren't super awesome. The first race was probably the best one. I finished 13th and those two uh, teammates were right in front of me. And I remember Mitch laying into him after the first race and kind of, you know, I was bright eyed and it got real quick. Um, But my results weren't great. I went back to Loretta's and won. And then uh, from there, I moved to Motor World Suzuki, which was owned by Paul Lindsay, a guy that I grew up with in Colorado. Right. And this place was an awesome environment for me to race um, without the spotlight because it wasn't uh, Mitch's team, which was probably the best team at the time. and it allowed me to hone my craft Uh, just because i got a lot of gate drops i would ride the opposite coast Um, i could ride the 250 two-stroke at the time also and this was a a great time for me because i put in a lot of work i observed the other people what they were uh, people like uh, david pingree um, how he structured his training at the track and off the track and there were certain people like this that i just watched and learned and gradually i got faster and faster and started to get some results.
0: The thing I remember whenever I hear the name Andrew Short, what I firstly remember is that win at, at Vegas in 03, your, your first probably really big win. That seemed to vault you to, to my conscious. You had been consistent that year. I think you definitely taken the leap forward, but that win, you were so happy after. it. Can you relieve, re- relive that moment for us and just how much it meant to you?
1: Yeah, this race in Vegas was always good to me. The East-West shootout. and I had a few podiums that year going into this race, I was more focused on outdoors and okay. Stuart had a big crash over the finish line. He had a massive endo and everyone just kind of kept crashing. It put me in the perfect position to win. And I didn't expect it. And this is why I was so happy. And um, this is why I said that team, Motorworld Suzuki was perfect. Like no one expected me to win. And when you're in a situation like this and you win, and it was just unbelievable. Everyone's so stoked and happy. And it was a dream come true. And um, it's like once you start to win, then the pressure comes with it and the expectation, it changes everything. But on a team like Motorworld, we didn't have factory bikes or anything crazy and special, and we were just doing it um, the best we could with the resources we had, and it was cool. It was, it was something I'll never forget, you know? Yeah, it's
0: something that always always sticks in my head. That next season you stayed with Motorworld. You must have got injured because I seen you were riding 250 races and you were going well on that as well. What happened that that season? Obviously, you moved to Honda the next year.
1: Yeah, uh, this is when the 250 four-stroke came in. And with Motorworld Suzuki, it was the uh, Kawasaki-Suzuki combo. This bike was was horrible, and we didn't have the resources to get it dialed. And So I was on a 125 two-stroke. I wasn't very competitive. But the 250 two-stroke, I could ride on the opposite coast. And this bike was more or less stock with pipe and silencer and some suspension. And, uh, I was really competitive. I was riding with, uh, the top guys and getting good results. And this is what allowed the opportunity for me to, to move to factory Honda. And that was as a kid coming from motor world Suzuki, where you get one or two practice bikes a year to go into factory Honda. It was uh, a whole different world and a game changer for, me. um, with this came a lot of expectations, but, uh, something that every kid dreams of you know
0: yeah right back to ricky johnson david bailey mcgrath and then latterly, just before you went there carmichael had been there winning you mentioned the pressure there when you got signed did you feel that pressure from within the team or was it from your own expectations
1: of, of being a factory honda rider Nah, yeah, it comes from yourself, uh, just because of so many people before you. You know, you go to the room where they have meetings, and there's just number one plates on the wall uh, around you with the names you mentioned and others. Um, it, it's, it was a whole different world. And at the time, Carmichael was just leaving. Uh, Honda wanted to invest in some young talent and develop these people because they were getting kind of the, the stigma that they were just buying championships. Um, okay. so. Millsaps came, I did. It was kind of like restructuring, but they invested a lot in the 50F that I was on. Uh, Some of the road race guys moved over to this program, and the bike was really cool. It was really fun for me. And the first couple of years, it was like cheating almost with the motor. It was so fast. And uh, the Cowies were competitive also with Mitch, but the Honda was really good and it was really fun. And I had some.
0: You were pretty close to titles and the supercross seasons there on the 250F. And again, outdoors you were you were very competitive as well. Your 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 game really went to the next level. But are you are you still frustrated when you look back, that you couldn't quite get one of those Supercross titles tied down because you were so close.
1: Yeah, I basically uh, in two thousand six, I feel like it was mine. Uh, I was definitely faster than Langston, but Langston was a much better competitor than me. He was more mentally tough. Um, he knew how to perform when it mattered. And these were skills that I hadn't learned yet. And uh, it was really difficult for me looking back. And it still is, obviously, because I had a good opportunity. Um, but other than that, I don't really know what to say. Um, that was one of my biggest regrets is after the championship, I just left. I never went over and congratulated Langston or Mitch. I felt like I kind of let my team down uh, after this race in Seattle and where I lost the championship. The the following week or a couple weeks after was the shootout again in Vegas, which I was able to get some redemption and win this again. So that place was always good for me. And uh, so Seattle, I had really bad memory by losing this championship, but a lot of uh, great races before that and good times on 50F at Honda. And later on, uh, Seattle, I had one of my best races on a 450 there. You know, in 2012, I ended up winning uh, the 450 race there. And that was the only Supercross I won. I had a ton of podiums, but I was never able to win. And so that place was bittersweet. For me.
0: Those 450 years on your Honda was probably the maybe the the prime of your career. You were always finishing in top three in the championships, it seemed like, the late sort of 0- 08, 09, 2010. As you say, you got that one win, but you were always knocking on the door, indoors and out. You were competitive. Were those years fun, or was the pressure of trying to win take away a wee bit of that fun from the outside you would think that's that's very enjoyable but internally is there a pressure that that weighs on you
1: yeah because it's honda so the pressure does wear on you and you feel like you should win Uh, i was racing against stewart a lot of the time who won a lot uh at the end was carmichael of his career in 2007 i guess so Yeah, I felt the pressure and I was really good. I wasn't maybe necessarily uh, the fastest, but I was really consistent in both series. So from um, the outdoor series in 2007, pretty much to 2010, if I stayed healthy, I maybe missed one or two um, indoors or outdoors, you know, but if I'd stayed healthy, I was top three in the points. So this was the good part. Uh, The bad part was I wasn't able to like sprint or have some, a lot of intensity. So this was uh, something I struggled with, but I did well, and it was kind of the prime of my career. A lot of fun. I learned a lot testing at, at this time, uh, a lot with development with the bikes. So this was another strength of mine that definitely helped me, how to adapt to different conditions. But also, it was a strange time in my life. I felt like at this period, I was, I was becoming more mature, but things were definitely changing. Um, from the family side and just me as a person, I changed a lot and had to become more mature and deal with things, whether it was business or um, just growing up. So, besides just racing, this was a pivotal point in my life and some great times and some very uh, challenging and tough and you know, difficult times as well.
0: Regarding Honda and Tesson, I would imagine that they can do most things you want, or they maybe come with so many options. Kind of get, especially when you first go there, kind of be confusing with the amount of options and knowing which one to go with, and you might feel better in this one, but the race doesn't show that in the results. Can you get lost in that a wee bit, especially in the early
1: stages? Yeah, yeah, there's many options. I think the the thing I learned the most was uh, the political side. There's certain people that are pushing a different direction, and at the time I didn't understand this, and they were trying to do what in their mind was, The best thing and so you kind of have to learn how to communicate and understand from the big picture why uh, certain people are pushing uh, certain directions whether it's motor or chassis they're trying to justify their job and or just different things like this and before i never really understood this or even thought of this Uh so yeah there's many different things and options you can choose from but also just learning how to communicate understanding how the corporate world worked how racing at a high level worked and just the different options you can go are you have in front of you in which direction you choose and how to adapt a weekend week out for the different conditions series um, whether it's supercross or motocross and, and understanding the difference of these so um, I learned a lot and how to talk differently to make the Japanese for future projects mm-hmm. the direction to steer from this and uh, so this was cool and also in 2007 and 8, when I came aboard at Honda, the bike was really uh, refined. It was at the end of its cycle. It was the last of the Honda Works bikes in the U.S. And in 2009, the bike changed a lot. And this bike was primarily built out of parts from Japan. It didn't come as a complete bike. And so this was also different. And it was the first uh, fuel-injected bike as well from Honda. So it was, uh, it was cool just to learn how everything came together and how different it was. And
0: was that... Were you focusing then on testing and developing that bike? Was that maybe taken away from your ability to just focus on your race results and speed? Was there a balance there that you had to compromise mentally?
1: Um, no, nah, I, I don't think this was ever a factor. I think uh, I was I was really lucky to benefit. McGrath was really big uh, part of the program at the time as well. He did a lot of the development and would help steer us and guide us for direction. So. I, I feel like this wasn't a hindrance or anything that affected. Uh, so, but it was more looking back, it was just good memories, you know, being at the track with the technicians and the other riders. Uh, it's like sitting on the back of the tailgate at the track. Now you're just kind of BSing and having fun and enjoying riding. And, and I have a lot of, a lot of fond memories of this. And we got to ride at really cool places when we were testing and you have a track all to yourself and you're with cool people and riding stuff that's getting ready to come out. So When you always see something that you've never seen before, this makes it more fun as well.
0: And Jeremy helping you, were you able to learn a lot from him with obviously the skills and experience he had? And he seemed to always relax, even though he had a lot of pressure from winning. So were you able to take a lot from him during those years?
1: Mm, Yeah. Maybe I didn't tap into it too much on the mental side, uh, where I wish I maybe would have. He was really good at this. I think was more natural for him, but... I think the biggest thing I got from him is even when it was rainy, you know, we couldn't ride the supercross track, we would go to Ocotillo and make a track and just have fun and just go ride and be like a kid almost. You know, these, this is what I remember most I thought was the the coolest part, you know, and I I think these skills helped me more than anything. And, you know, before Daytona, most people would be riding a sand track and we were out at Ocotillo just making a track that was natural and having fun And making the most of it or going to castillo ranch and doing the photo shoot seeing him uh, put the bike in places and moving it the way that nobody else could you know these are things that i remember not so much hey um what do you think about the bike here can i go a little faster in the corner here it was more like hey let's go check this out and uh you know you think we can transfer from this section to that section or you know these are the things i had most fun and just riding in these ways, then saying, hey, can I go, you know, on the right side of the whoops, cross over to the left? Or I never, re-. you talked about this a little bit with him, but this wasn't Jeremy. He didn't analyze things so much. It was more natural for him.
0: And the two other big moments in your career where the motocross of nations both came in Honda, that win in 2010. As obviously Americans expect you to win that race, but even as, as a, an outsider, you expect America, because of the size of the country and the amount of good riders, to always at least contend for the win. So to do that on any country, whenever you represent America, but could, to go to your home country and do that, I imagine the pressure is, is really high. What is it like to A, race that, but be carry that weight of expectation that you almost have to deliver?
1: Yeah, and at the time, it seemed like the US was always winning. And this track where I was at in Colorado was the, the same place I grew up as a kid. Okay. So it was really special. to I, me. I wanted to be a part of this race. I took a lot of pride in it. And it meant a lot to him. And the first moto didn't go well. I collided with Ben Townley. It wasn't looking good for us. And I remember Roger just like looking at me like, you have to get this done. And you can't think or do it. It's just like, it's real, you know? And I got really great starts at this race. And at this time in 2010, I pretty much got every start, every hole shot in the nationals. Uh, It pretty much, it was automatic for me. And it was the same at this race. I I had the start wired and it made a difference. You know, it's like, I got a start, I got towed out and the race just rubber bands, you know, and if you're yourself in a good position, it makes a big difference. And it allowed me to have a good second moto. I got, I got the whole shot. I was leading for a while. Uh, Dungy got around me and I pretty much stayed there. So it was really cool. And after the race, when you're standing on the podium, you see all the people and, everyone's saying USA or yelling USA and it's just it's something um, that you have to experience to understand the feelings and understand what it's like and I can't imagine what it would be like if you didn't win the disappointment and the opposite effect would be would be really hard to deal with I think so um, this is one thing I'm really thankful it went well and I put a lot of work into that race. With racing, you never know what's going to happen, but it was a really cool moment.
0: And then the next one was was your one Supercross victory. Can you talk us through that that day, that that race, and how you felt leaving that stadium that night?
1: Yeah, this was cool because, like I said earlier, I had a really bad race there, and this stadium was open. Um, it wasn't a dome, and it always rained, and it was not my spec. I'm not good when it's rainy and ruddy, and the conditions are like this. I didn't grow up in it; it's not my specialty, but. Again, I got a good start. Uh, Kenny was behind me. He was on the 350, the bike I rode the year before, and I really disliked. Uh, so, and I just stayed there. And it, like everything kind of went my way. Uh, Villapoto blew out his knee on lap two, I think. And this was his home race. And, uh, so I didn't really expect to, to win. And this is what makes it even more sweet. Kind of like my, my first win on the 125. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you don't expect it at a place you don't normally do well, it was really cool. And I... I I lost my voice that night because I was screaming so much and and things like this, you know, and it was uh, a really, really cool feeling in a moment and um, definitely a highlight in my career.
0: You mentioned there the 350. I remember you on that bike. There was a lot of talk that that would be really good for Supercross. And I actually thought it would be good as well. And it might go into it with all the other manufacturers, but you never seemed to get stars. It was obviously early in its development as well. Was that year frustrating for you? Did you come in with higher hopes than the reality showed on the results and how was the bike to ride for you?
1: Yeah, I was really optimistic about this bike until I rode it. And once I rode it, it was uh, I knew it was going to be a struggle. I just didn't have the torque and right. you don't have so much room to accelerate in Supercross. Uh, uh, a great bike, super fun to ride. It's one of the most fun bikes I've ever ridden. And I think if you just can have one bike for riding in the woods and motocross, and it's kind of a do-it-all bike. Um, and at that time, you know, a stock bike, produces so much more horsepower now than even the the factory one did then so yeah it was a struggle all year and I think it was after around five or six pretty much development stopped on the 350 and they started with the 450 for the following year <laughs> and this was the first year Roger and Ian were there and I came Frankie and Carlos so it was more of a development year so I I kind of knew that and what I enjoyed most about that year was the people on that team and seeing everything transpire and grow and it was a it was a cool time to be a part of this group and to see how far it's came is crazy. But um, that bike I just I didn't gel with for supercross. It was really difficult for me coming off of 2010 with a, a bike that was really good yeah. and maybe the best. And so this was uh, as a competitor in your in your head. It's hard to understand this and like this.
0: Regarding the the team dynamics, you mentioned the the KTM there. Obviously, that was at the beginning of their but it's become a, a very dominant dominant yeah. team with Roger and Ian. How is it working with them compared to the, the people at Honda? Is there a vast difference to how that, they operate? They have more direct communication, obviously, with, with Austria and the Grand Prix side, maybe, with, with the working?
1: I think this was the best time to be involved with KTM because everyone was so motivated. Uh, the the budget, it was like, there's no budget. If they needed something, they would just buy it and it wasn't corporate yet. It was super cool. And they had that Euro passion where they would like, if they needed something done, they would just do it, you know? And this was so cool to be a part of uh, a time like this where Honda was very corporate. You needed to ask 10 people before you got a decision. And now it seems like it's almost changed. I think KTM's super corporate now in the U S cause it's so big and there's so much money and there's so many people. And, um, just different times. And you you understand why the companies are the, the way they are. But uh, to be a part of this program at that time was something special. And it was when Marvin came over, uh, Kenny was there, um, he was bouncing back between the GPs and US. And so this was really fun to see a 16 year old Kenny that's out of control. Um, and it just had good people. So it was, it was something special to be a part of it at that time. And I think, Uh, Pitt and Robert Jonas and these people were so motivated that and and obviously uh, Roger and Ian that those people took the program to another level and created you know what's arguably one of the the strongest or best teams today.
0: You mentioned your relationship with Kenny there from memory you were pretty close I think he stayed with you at times as well when he first first went to America he was quite as you said out of control there your your personalities are maybe slightly different in different directions, but you seem to get on really well. How was that a time for you to be around him and his enthusiasm? And he's obviously very naturally talented on a bike as well. Did it keep things fun for you or was it a bit of a headache keeping an eye on him?
1: Yeah, no, it was fun for me because I was old and very structured, organized and everything Kenny wasn't, you know, I was married, had kids. He was teen looking for a girlfriend everywhere. And, you know, it's just madness. And, but I loved to ride with him because he had so much enthusiasm and it was just fun. And uh, it was cool because everything was new for him also in the U.S. So he was always stoked to go ride at a new place, trying to find stuff to do. And for me, it was, you know, it's like I was starting to not lose motivation, but it wasn't new for me. So it was cool to be around somebody like this. I really enjoyed his, his father at the time, uh, Papa, who was um, he was a little bit crazy, I think, but in a good way. And he really pushed them. And I liked how he analyzed racing. He was real big on shifting and carrying momentum. And I think he was, um, I don't know, I think he was pretty smart on how he, he went about racing. So I admired this. Uh, Alessis were part of the program, too, at the time. And Tony was crazy. But uh, I I learned a lot from people, and especially Kenny, because he was the new age, you know. And um, he, he brought a different technique coming from Europe. And I enjoyed watching this, being around it. And it was cool. The
0: latter end of your career, it wasn't maybe results-wise quite as good as the Honda, but you were still competitive very much in the top 10. I think you ended your last season, you were you were ninth overall in outdoors, maybe. When did you know you, you wanted to stop racing
1: motocross? Did
0: it become the, the traveling more than the racing, or were you still enjoying the racing, or was everything just because you'd done it for so long come to a natural conclusion?
1: Yeah, I've been racing the same races for, you know, 16 years, and... I was doing a lot of development for KTM with uh, air shock, air forks. I loved racing, but it wasn't like exciting as it was at the beginning, just because it was the same thing week in, week out. And I still loved racing. You know, I loved riding a dirt bike, but I was ready to go explore. I loved trail riding. I loved uh, going to the mountains. I wanted to go to Baja and right. you know check out places I've never been before. And when you go to Redbud for the 15th time, you know exactly where to go eat, you know, the airport. It's just like, I don't know. I felt like I was, it was time. And the hard part is, is like, what do you do next? And for me, I'd been surrounded around people that wanted to be at the highest level. They're always waking up, sleeping, breathing on how to be better and to just get a normal job or be around people that are quote unquote normal, really difficult and hard for me that might sound bad, but this is what I love most about sports and this mindset. So I, I kind of struggled with this, but I hit my head a lot. Uh, 2015, I was really competitive in supercross and I broke my, uh, my kneecap at the end of the series. And, and this was my last good like run. And then after this, when I was coming back, I, I hit my head and I had a couple of concussions that were really bad and this scared me. Mm-hmm. So when this happened, I knew I kind of, had to chill out and i gave myself permission that like this is enough you know so i did that last outdoor series knowing that this was the end and i just kind of rode and enjoyed it i did my best but i I don't think i was willing to take the chances and hang it out to be ultra competitive um but during this time i I really loved uh to go explore and this is kind of which led to the next chapter
0: that was going to be my question because to go from especially supercross predominantly in america that's that's the main thing To go and do rally what you're doing now it's it's worlds apart so how did those steps then come forward to to end up to do what you're doing now and racing dakar
1: yeah i didn't even know what dakar was honestly i was really (laughs) uneducated with this like supercross and motocross was my world i loved it and i went to a rider rally for etm in 2013. um they're releasing the, the 1190 adventure bike which i didn't even know anything about but it was trail riding in the mountains. So sign me up, I was into it. And Kurt Caselli was there and he had his rally bike and he was showing it I'm like, oh, this is sweet, you know? But I'm uh, still racing motocross and whatnot. When I got done racing, I was helping the Honda team with development. Uh, Kenny was there, but I was also doing media stuff. And one of the weekends I was testing, uh, we took a break for the weekend and the Japanese were going up to the, the desert to go do rally testing for durability. Um, so I went, they asked me if I'd come up and I went up there, rode the bike. And I'm like, Oh, this is sweet. It's kind of like trail riding, but it's faster. I don't know. It seemed cool. You had to be smart. Um, yeah. it wasn't just about pinning it. You had to navigate and it seemed like there was some strategy. It's kind of like tour de France. It seemed uh, really cool and new and exciting, you know, and it was still racing with people that wanted to be the best. So one thing led to another. I got addicted to this and it's led to a whole new chapter.
0: And what was the most difficult part of learning this whole thing? Obviously, you had highly high level bike skills. Was riding the bike much different or was it more the navigation? And it, was, it looks like you could, it's just like, where do you go a lot of times? Whenever I see clips of, of the car, it's just wide open and you guys are still running a hot pace. But how are you able to, was the navigation a big thing you had to learn?
1: Yeah, navigation is tough, but it's everything. There's so much strategy and I feel like the Euros are, are really clever on how they approach racing. And honestly, I really underestimated how good the riders were. Uh, they're really fast, but they're, they're smart and they have it wired. So I thought I would come in and in a few months, I would be competitive. Okay. And it was completely not true. It took me a long time. <laughs> and this, this was really tough for me. But Like motocross, I kept digging and working. I figured it out a a lot more, and I've gotten a lot better. And I've never done good at Dakar. I've done really good in the World Championship stuff before. I've been able to win uh, a race in Morocco, which is the lead up to Dakar, and I've gotten second in Silkway and a few other races. But uh, Dakar is like the the Holy Grail of, of rally, and I've always had some troubles there. So. Um, This is the last thing on my list. I would like to do good and we'll see. So, um, but it's uh, something that you have to work at. The navigation is hard, but there's so much more to it. And this is what makes this race so special. Um, And the people in the paddock and all these, it's like motocross and supercross, but on steroids. And uh, it's something that it's hard to explain to people in America, but I, I think if they understood it, it would take off. It's, uh, it's a really cool race and a really cool sport. How long
0: do you still see yourself doing this? You seem still completely enthusiastic for it.
1: Yeah, no, I'm hooked on this thing. I don't know how much longer I can do it for. Uh, I turned 39 in November. Uh, so we'll see. I'm signed on for one more Dakar, for Dakar in January. And after this, uh, see what happens. But yeah, I, I love it. But doors open, doors close. You never know. And I'm really thankful for this opportunity with Yamaha. Last year was strange to be a rally for everyone, you know, with COVID. But uh, race internationally was really difficult. And uh, hopping on a new team and not having a lot of time was was hard for us, but hard for everyone. But uh, really thankful to be part of this group with Yamaha and Monster. Really cool people. They have a lot of history and success from years in the past. And hopefully we can make it happen and do well this year.
0: With your schedule, how does that work with your family? Obviously, you're traveling outside of America a lot. Are you still able to get a good balance with that?
1: Yeah. No, I'm, when I'm home, uh, I'm home, you know. Okay. And I try to go to the desert and practice, but yeah. uh, I feel like like tomorrow morning, I'm leaving for Colorado to go race an enduro. But okay, uh, okay. my son's going to race it on his YZ85, and my wife, who raced it last year also, she's going to follow him this year, you know, make sure he can survive because it's 70 miles Right. And on a YZ85 is going to be difficult, not only on fuel, but the terrain. It's at 8,000 feet to 10,000 feet is the range. I don't know what that is, Enders, but it's high. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is why I say we get to experience stuff, ride motorcycles, do events, and um, have these life experiences I wouldn't normally get to have. So I'm thankful for this. And um, so it's, it's cool. Also, I live on a farm, and my kids are my, my son. He used to never like dirt bikes until COVID.
0: Right. And
1: now since, yeah. So now since COVID, he loves dirt bikes. It was something we could do here on the farm, and uh, so now he's hooked. Also, so I get to spend a lot of time with uh, my wife. Obviously, came from racing as well, so she has her own life and she's busy. But we get to do a lot of cool events, and uh, I'm thankful for this.
0: I was watching Loretta Lens last night, and Jeff Emig won a moto on his 150. Mike Bryan nearly yeah. won the the over 25. Race was yep. really cool to watch. Have you any plans of, of doing that in the future and, and coming going back to there?
1: No, nah, the only way I'd go back is if my son went back and he rides more off road than motocross and just started, and it would be really difficult for him to qualify for this race. Uh, but if he did this, I would like to go, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe even my wife. I I I looked up my re- my wife's results and showed them to my son yesterday when we were watching. I'm like, see, your mom can go fast too. <laughs> um. So, but. Yeah, it's, it's cool that they have this, this race in the U.S. I, I heard uh 26,000 people tried to qualify
0: That's and
1: uh, yeah, it's massive and it's cool to see so many kids have an outlet like this and the sports growing and it's good for the industry, but I think it's great for the families to, to have these times together, uh, to travel and, you know, compete and have these emotions and feelings. And I think these things shape them for their lives and, uh, will hopefully be a positive impact and they'll develop this passion for sport. And I think this is cool that they can experience it. It's good for the industry and the business and all this, but I, hopefully more importantly, it's just good for the the people that they have uh, a love and a passion for riding and something they can look back on and, and be happy about. Because uh, I definitely have good memories with my family and friends, all these things from these races. And I'm, I'm very happy and thankful I got to to do races like this
0: just finally Andrew. whenever you look back at, at your career i'm sure you have the odd regret here and there but are you overall happy with with what you achieved and the experiences you've had riding motorbikes
1: yeah sure not very many people get to race for as long as i have um, sure there's been more that have been uh, more successful you know like a uh, james stewart or ricky carmichael but at the same time i've met a lot of great people i've got to ride a lot of great bikes I lived uh, a career that I never thought would be possible. When I was 17 or 18, I was just hoping to make it pro and not go to college. Like my parents told me, they're like, you, you have a year or two. And then after this, you're <laughs> going to school, you know? <laughs> so I really wanted to make it happen because I love bikes and to be almost 39 years old, still trying to be my best and get to ride and, you know, go to Colorado tomorrow and race an enduro all over the place. Uh, I just got back from France riding a rally bike. You know, it's like, that's not normal. And it still brings a smile to my face. And I get to work with great people. Like, this isn't normal. And I know it's not going to last forever. So I'm definitely really appreciative. And uh, so, yeah, I I definitely, you always wish you could have more regrets, like you said. But at the same time, I have to realize that this isn't something that most people get to experience and i feel very blessed
0: thank you andrea that's brilliant hope everyone really enjoyed that it's been very very insightful and i think your your passion really shines through for for motorbikes that that you still have so thanks very much for your time thank you
1: yeah thanks for having me